Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're only as good as your word, and he stands by his. This is The Roy Green Show. What we don't need and what I just can't support is change being rammed down our throats without a single second of public consultation. And on top of that, done in the middle of the election period itself. You don't change the rules in the middle of the game. That is not right and that is not fair. I'm not going to speculate on the decision-making process of, uh, of Doug Ford. All I would say is you know, my preference would have been uh, democracy over uh, appointments. I think for the people, we should give the choice to the people. Patrick Brown and before him, of course, John Tory, the mayor of Toronto. And um, I did invite Mayor Tory to be on this program to speak his mind. And I got in touch with his media person, and they did not re- reply. So I guess I'm batting a 1,000 for Doug Ford, who used to be on the show all the time, and John Tory, who I've known for many years, who used to be on the show all the time, too. So I must have upset somebody, which, which is just fine. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But I would have liked to have had the opportunity to speak to uh, John Tory directly and to the Premier directly, but it was terrific to speak to Joe and to Maddie. Now, Catherine Swift is with us on a weekly basis on uh, the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Usually, it's toward the end of the program for our Beauties and the Beast segment with Catherine, Linda, and Michelle, Linda Leatherdale, and Michelle Simpson. And they will be together later on today. But uh, we have Catherine on to do two things for us. She's been very kind to do double double duty at twice the salary. I know. Well, I expect twice the pay, Roy, you know. Well, that's, I'm, that's the deal. You do twice the work, <laughs> you get twice the pay. Darn right. Huh? Isn't that fair? Totally. <laughs> and there's something that I want to talk to you about that deals with money, and we'll do that after we talk about the, the decision made by Premier Ford. And that is, you tweeted earlier this week, and I happen to come in fairly close to the top of your tweeting, and that your tweet was, wow, average police retirement is 52 since folks now live until 90, I guess the average cop works for 25 years or so, collects a pension for almost 40 years. No wonder we taxpayers are going broke. And did you hear about that? Oh, yeah. And I totally expected to. I wasn't at all shocked. Um, but I think it, it, these are important issues. And I guess, mind you, a lot of people were. <laughs> A lot of people were very supportive on social media because they know the scenario. But I guess, you know, I, I obviously touched a third rail here, which, again, no, no surprise. And, and it, it always surprises me, though, that so many people say, oh, no, you, oh, you can't question anything the police do. And, oh, that's disrespecting the police. No, actually, it's respecting the police. Because if people aren't concerned about things like the sustainability feasibility, you know, affordability of things like police pensions and many other public sector pensions too, by the way, but police are a special case just because they do retire so young and there's reasons for that and so on and so forth. But, you know, we've seen in other jurisdictions, including some in Canada, these pensions have gotten so unaffordable and so badly in debt that they end up getting, have, having to get amended and guess who suffers the most? 
the police that are expecting to collect that pension. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a sensible question that should be asked. And people that say, oh, no, you can't touch that. Police deserve, you know, whatever they get, no matter what it is. And and it it can never be, you know, it can never be even sensibly questioned. Well, that's just silly. Well, one of the things that occurred to me as I read the the responses, and there are so many, just go to uh, at Swifty01, that's S-W-I-F-T-I-E-01 for Catherine Swift's Twitter account. What I, what I got from uh, reading so many of the replies or the, the tweets that you got was people didn't really read what you wrote. No, they, well, they didn't. And again, you know, let's face it, it it's a human nature to skim something. You have your, we all have our own biases, obviously, built in. And you, you, know, you factor in those filters and you react accordingly, and it's a knee-jerk reaction. So, yeah, no, they didn't read what I wrote. But it, like I say, this, this is an issue, and it's not just police. It's, it's that larger public sector pension where the public sector in general gets way better pensions than the rest of us do. We pay for them, uh, and they they do kick into them, but, you know, mostly the taxpayer uh, pays for them. And we know that the population's aging. We know the next generations coming up are not as numerous. Many of these pensions 30, 40 years ago had 10 people paying into it for every one taking out. Some of those numbers now are coming up to one to one. One person paying in for every one person collecting a pension. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist in math. Well, no, the rest of know. us. The rest of us have to make up the difference. That's that's a big, big problem. And by the way, I know I also hear all the time. And again, I understand this from public sector workers. Who say I pay half of my pension. You know what? I don't know of one single public sector pension in this country where the employee actually pays for half. Even if they te- technically pay fifty percent of a contribution level. Every so often, those pensions go into deficit, and taxpayers end up making up the difference, often in the hundreds of millions and sometimes even billions of dollars. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a big, important issue. Police is just one element of it, and it's an important, but, you know, it's only one element of it. And to, to, to pretend we can bury our head in the sand and these problems are going to go away, they're not going to. You know, Catherine, one of the things, one of the fundamental things we could do is, as an exercise is to just compare the lifestyle, the retirement lifestyle, of people who've been in the public sector for all their professional life with people who've been in the private sector all their yeah. professional life, yeah. unless they've been at the very top of the private sector, uh, you know, uh, ladder. Exactly, yeah. They're not going to be living nearly as well as people in the public sector, and the public sector people will have their pensions underwritten by the very people who can't live the kind of lifestyle they would like to live. Precisely, and that's the unfairness and, and the, the, the just the whole, you know, it's nonsensical, really, when you think about it. Yeah. And we're not asking for unfairness for anyone. Why, why can't it just be relatively the same? That's really the question. And the, the other issue that a lot of people don't realize is if, even if you were quite well off as a, as a private sector employee and trying to contribute to, say, your RSP, say that's the major vehicle available to you, and including a TFSA, by the way, tax-free savings account, you could not legally put the same amount into a pension for yourself as public sector workers are putting in for themselves with our, obviously, with our taxpayer you know, contributions. We couldn't even legally equal the same percentage of our overall salary. And, and I mean, for starters, can't we at least equalize that? But again, like you mentioned, Roy, even if you're in the private sector, you know, well, that would only affect the people that are already doing quite well in the private sector, not the average person. Yeah. Interesting you bring up TFSAs because we know what Mr. Trudeau did to yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, um, by the way, I uh, I was glad to stand up for you in that uh, Twitter feed. And I, I thank you for that, right? I, I saw one. I said, no, no, no. I'm not just going to sit here and watch and read. I'm going to get into this. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get to the issue of Mr. Ford, uh, the Premier of Ontario, making the decision, and or at least announcing the decision, suddenly that Toronto Council is going to be reduced from 45 to 27 seats, blaming Council's lack of progress on major issues like housing and transit, and he doesn't want to be involved with having to babysit council and, and their never-ending conflabs uh, about issues that need to be resolved. And uh, going forward with it, and you've heard the response, of course you know what Mr. Tory has said, the yep. mayor of Toronto, what some other councillors have said. They've, uh, they've drawn a line in the sand, and they're on either side of the line, and uh, they're about ready to go at it. So how do you assess the decision that was made by the Premier, the timing of the decision, and ultimately the effectiveness of the decision? Well, the substance of it is eminently supportable, the, the substance of it. I was shocked, however, that, and this is not an inconsequential change, obviously. It's fairly significant and, in my view, hugely, hugely positive. But the way he did it, I, I got to say, that was a real, that was a shocker. I mean, he, he, he clearly surprised everybody. Uh, I'm sure he talked to Tory beforehand, but probably not, you know, hugely in advance. He, I'm sure he gave him heads ups. Um, let's not forget too, though, Roy. Quite a few councillors are actually backing this too, so there there is a supportive constituency there within the councillors that say it should be downsized. And again, if we can get if we can get away from sort of the timing, like you say, that the timing and the the, the suddenness, I don't think, you know, it, that could have been done better, in my view. Um, that being said, I did hear, I, I heard your uh, Warmington and Matteo Dimitrio earlier interviews, and, you know, Joe is right. Sometimes if you don't do something fast, it doesn't happen at all, so there's, there's a case to be made for that. Uh, but also, I remember when John Tory himself said years ago, he wasn't mayor then, that the council was way, way too big. So again, can we get past the you know, kind of the noise and the, the suddenness and, and, and the way in which it was done and get to the substance of it? Because I, I think it's a win for taxpayers. There's no reason Toronto needs that as, anywhere near as many councillors as it has. Tory himself in the past has said that many, many times. So can we move on and do something that's actually right for the people of Toronto? Clearly no, because not only because of what we've seen in the last 24 hours, but because municipal issues are the ones that take up really more time than do federal or provincial, as, as, as disconcerting as they can be, municipal issues tend to get bogged down and then everybody throwing mud because it's, it's your neighborhood issue. It is, and yet also, Roy, as I'm sure you well know, where is the lowest percentage of voter turnout? Municipal well, yeah, elections. We've, we've seen municipal elections in the province of Ontario decided on 27% exactly. of the turnout of eligible, eligible voters. Yep. So now we have a decision like this and everybody's up in arms. Yep. Whereas when you said to, if you were to say to them, a lot of people, a lot of eligible voters, will you, are you planning on voting in the municipal election on, in October now? No. Yeah, that's what I find a little too rich, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I think directionally it's right. I think the way he did it was, you know, a little too precipitous, you know, a little, a little too sudden, and so on. But can we get beyond that now, move on, and actually do something that is substantively the right thing? And I love, I love the fact that Nancy out in Calgary, I mean, he must be feeling the beasts on his neck or something. Well, I think, I, I, I think, I think he's seeing, I think he's seeing images of Jason Kenney. 
Well, totally. I I had exactly the same thought. And, you know, Calgary Council now has this young guy on it who's a a rogue, and he's actually questioning spending and said, we got lots of money. And, of course, they all hate his guts, right, because he's calling them liars and um, and good on him. But, you know, he's got a few little pressure points right now, old old Nahid Nenshi. So uh, I think it looks... And, you know, it didn't... I hope this is a trend. I really hope it's a trend. And, Catherine, he wasn't a shoo-in in the last election. No, no. He won in the last couple of days. Quite dicey. Quite dicey. Just just before you go, as the former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, representing the small and medium-sized businesses, the entrepreneurs who put their money into their businesses that serve the communities they live in, how is this going to affect, how do situations like this, how do decision, decisions like this, the one taken by Mr. Ford and the response that from, from Mr. Tory and others, how does it affect the business community? Well, if it comes to pass, which I dearly hope it does, I would think the vast majority of the small business community will be cheering, will be on their feet cheering. Municipal taxation is a huge issue for small business. Municipal governments because, of course, there's way more votes in the residential sector than there is in the business sector. They tend to keep residential taxes low and crank up business taxes like nobody's business. And they have done it in Toronto to the point that they've driven a lot of business out of the city, which ultimately is not a win for anybody, including the city of Toronto. But they, they actually have ratios of six, seven, eight to one in terms of what a small business pays versus a resident with exactly the same value of property. And that is not a, a, that is just not a sustainable situation. So I think they'll be cheering. We'll talk to you later, Catherine. Look forward to it, right? Thanks so much, Catherine Swift, former chair and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, joining us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. My number is 1-800-263-2428, 1-800-263-2428. Wherever you are, whether you're in Toronto or elsewhere in the province of Ontario, or whether you're in uh, Alberta or Manitoba, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, what is your response? What is your reaction? What's your feel? for the decision made by the Ontario Premier to suddenly and very dramatically and very significantly slash the Toronto Council from 47, uh, from 45 to 27 seats. This is something that you support, and is it something you'd like to see in your city, 800-263-2428, or do you take great exception with Premier Ford and stand with Mr. Tory and the councillors who disagree with the Premier? 800-263-2428, we'll have time for some calls. When we come back.